welcome to the Emirates NBD Market Matters podcast. I'm Katija Huck, Chief Economist and Head of Research at Emirates NBD. Oil markets have started the year on an absolute tear, hitting levels not seen since 2014 and up about 20% since the start of this year. Brent futures are now hovering at around $90 a barrel as of mid-February. Given where we've seen oil prices in the last few years of the COVID pandemic, um, prices at these levels will certainly be very welcome for the GCC economies, including the UAE. Here to discuss with me how oil prices have gotten so high is Edward Bell, Senior Director for Market Economics. Hi, Ed. Hi, Katija. So it's been an absolutely astonishing start to 2022 on the oil market side. How have we gone from oil at $77 a barrel at the end of 2021 to over $90 a barrel in less than two months, and in some cases within reach of $100 a barrel over the last couple of weeks. How have we got here? Yeah, it's been an enormously volatile and dynamic period, I think, for energy markets. And I think what we're experiencing now in terms of where spot prices are, are a lot of the dynamics that we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and the the market actions that have been taken by various producers, uh, as well as the demand side and the recovery there really coming home to roost. So after, uh, you know, still a quite turbulent and volatile 2021, this year, oil markets look like they're going to be kind of more normal in the sense that they're going to reflect more of the kind of usual trends that we saw before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Now, in that sense, we're still uh, having a decent demand story. So we're expecting in the first quarter, at least, that demand growth is going to be somewhere not far off 5 million barrels a day. Now, that's enormously strong by any kind of historical standards, but that probably by the middle point of this year, we're going to get back to the uh, pre-pandemic level of over 100 million barrels a day of demand growth. So basically catching up all of the ground that we lost during the COVID-19 pandemic when uh, travel and industry and, and essentially every economic activity was disrupted. So by the end of this year, demand growth is going to look a lot more like it did in terms of the pre-pandemic trends, sort of coming in a little bit stronger than 1 million barrels a day of demand growth on a year-on-year basis. Now, at the same time as that, we're also seeing a supply reaction. Now, obviously, the oil prices are very high right now, but I'd argue that really in the last couple of months of 2021, they're pretty high as well and certainly very inviting for producers. So we are seeing supply move higher in line um, with this inviting price outlook. It's just not recovered as fast or to the same kind of scale that we've seen in demand. Now, the demand or the supply story is still going to be pretty positive, I think, going forward. Just as it stands right now in the first quarter, oil markets look pretty much balanced in the sense that demand and supply on an aggregate level are coming in just about even. And that means that we don't have much wiggle room in terms of uh, any additional demand that could be coming or any sudden shortfall in supply that we can discuss a a bit more length, I think, later on. So we're very delicately balanced. uh, And I think that's helping to give markets sort of a bias or or, or anxiety towards trending higher. Uh, On top of that, a pretty strong fundamental picture is this uncertainty about the geopolitical scenario or situation in Eastern Europe, with the threat that one of the world's largest producers of oil and gas, Russia, could become involved in a, in a conflict with Ukraine and potentially find itself under sanctions uh, from the United States, from the UK, from the EU, and potentially other countries as well. 
were we to have something like an incident develop, then there's not a lot of room in the oil market at present, whether it's from additional suppliers or from drawing down on inventories to be able to offset any interruption to Russian supplies. So I think that's what's giving the market a little bit of nervousness, well, actually quite a lot of nervousness and anxiety and helping prices stay up at $90 a barrel. So to summarize what you've just said, fundamentally, the market is broadly in balance. And so a lot of the increase that we've seen in recent weeks in, in prices probably reflects more the geopolitical risks and the uncertainty of Russian supply potentially being disrupted because of sanctions. Is there a way, is that is that correct, first of all? Yeah, I think that's fair that, you know, oil prices, the, the oil market is in a constructive phase, at least for prices as co- are considered, that prices should be high. Now, it's a question of how high is, is high, yeah. uh, basically, I think is, is the determining factor. And certainly, I think we've even seen from some OPEC ministers themselves saying that fundamentally, the oil market looks good, but that prices are pricing in something beyond the fundamentals. And that is this kind of anxiety around the geopolitical scenario. I think to, to try and disentangle how much of that is in the price right now is, is really a fool's task. It's, it's really impossible to ascertain exactly on a dollar amount what is the political risk premium uh, in the market right now. But certainly this anxiety around the security of supply is probably getting us to the $90 or pension, even touching onto the $100 range that we've seen in some of the physical markets uh, in oil at the moment. Um, and it's also worth in bearing in mind that it's not just an oil story. Energy products generally are moving higher this year as we're seeing it filter in, not just from crude oil, but certainly into oil market, uh, oil products themselves, as well as natural gas prices trending higher too. So if we're in a situation where um, there is certainly scope for OPEC producers to add more oil to, to the markets, to try and offset perhaps some of these concerns around Russian supply, why is OPEC Plus not being a a bit more aggressive in terms of its production increases? Um, Why are they still quite cautious in terms of of ramping up production by more? Well, I think OPEC Plus is actually trying to stick to its deal uh, as closely as possible. So if you remember back in July last year, we had this agreement where OPEC plus agreed to unwind all of the pandemic related cuts that were remaining um, uh, that they introduced during the, the peak of the pandemic, sort of that second quarter of 2020. And they're going to do that incrementally by adding 400,000 barrels a day per month. So since about August really is when this kind of materialized in markets, OPEC plus countries of which Russia is, is a member too, have been adding output back to markets. Now there has been, pressure at times from big importing nations uh, on the OPEC plus producers to do more, to go faster or beyond the 400,000 barrels a day, given the kind of inflationary pressures that we're seeing um, erode consumer uh, spending power and really force a tightening of financial conditions or pending for tightening of financial conditions in some big markets. Um, But I think for OPEC plus, one is they want to have the kind of uh, transparency or the visibility that their strategy is working. So sticking to it for a longer term rather than chopping and changing, as we saw during much of the pandemic where they flip-flop between a lot of their policy decisions. And the second is that no doubt the high oil prices are certainly going to be welcome to a lot of the OPEC plus economies. And if given that oil markets are balanced right now, 
doing any more or increasing faster beyond the 400,000 barrels per day each month could end up tipping us into a market surplus. Now, our own projections are that if OPEC plus countries do hit their targets as close to as possible, and we have demand doing well enough, but that slowdown kind of trajectory into the end of the year, the markets are probably going to move into a surplus sort of above a million barrels a day by the end of 2022. Now, that's not to say that that's going to cause a market crash, but it's probably going to help drive oil prices a little bit lower, make them a bit more comfortable. The other kind of issue I think to watch out for in terms of the OPEC plus countries um, going faster than the 400,000 barrel per day target is that they actually haven't hit it so far. So if you look at the performance of OPEC plus countries since the deal was signed, really only countries like Saudi Arabia, uh, the UAE, Kuwait, Iraq, maybe a handful of others have actually hit their share of that 400,000 barrel per day target. Most of the block has actually been underperforming. And so collectively each month, they're only getting about two thirds or even less of that total monthly increase. So why don't the GCC countries, which do have the ability to produce more than their share, why haven't they made up the difference that the smaller OPEC countries uh, have not been able to, to add back? In yeah, other words, to allow the whole block to, to, to get up to 400,000. Yeah, and that, that has actually been a strategy in the past uh, on both sides, where uh, sometimes when OPEC has overproduced, some countries will underproduce in the coming months to kind of offset the increase that we've seen in the past. So why aren't we seeing that in the reverse phase right now? It's an, it's an interesting dynamic, and I think there's a couple of things that go into that. One is the awareness that given the market is so delicately balanced, if you increase too much, let's say the, that Saudi Arabia increased beyond its allocated target, they could be uh, unintentionally driving the market into a surplus. Uh, second is the question of trying to preserve the kind of OPEC plus diplomacy, which is pretty hard fought. If you, if you recall, uh, in March 2020, we had a pretty vicious price war among the OPEC plus producers themselves. So trying to maintain the integrity of the alliance is quite crucial in order for it to be effective. So if you had some producers that were unilaterally trying to make up for uh, shortfalls by others due to a lack of investment or them hitting their, their production capacity already, I think it could make getting further deals or maybe even extending this one uh, or making more accommodation in the market that much more difficult. So there is, a, there is a benefit to keeping this alliance working together to make sure that the prices go in the best possible way for everyone within OPEC+. Plus. Okay, so when we started the year, we had an average forecast for Brent at just under $70 a barrel. Obviously, things have moved quite quickly beyond that. Um, have you changed your, your views on where we will see oil prices average? And also, have you changed your expectations around production um, within the GCC? Yeah, first off, from an oil price point of view, um, as you say, our expectation was that oil prices were going to have a strong Q1 and then kind of fade throughout the rest of the year. And generally, that trajectory still holds true. It's just been amplified, I think, by the risk of this geopolitical incident. So now we expect to see Brent prices at an average a little bit under $90 a barrel in the first quarter before trailing off over the rest of 2022. And that brings us to an average not that far off $80 a barrel uh, for 2022 as a whole. That compares with roughly about $70 a barrel last year. 
Now, one thing that we had been looking out for was that um, countries like Saudi, the UAE, uh, Kuwait, were going to kind of slow walk their production increases. So if they had, let's say, 100,000 barrels a day, which is in Saudi cases, they could increase each month, they might only deliver 70,000 barrels a day, just to give themselves a little bit of flexibility on the upside and downside to make sure they're matching market conditions. We actually haven't seen that. And, and the Gulf countries in particular have been basically the only ones within the OPEC plus alliance that have been hitting their targets. So we now expect to see them hitting their full production targets this year. And actually from May onward, they're going to be have, uh, benefiting from a higher baseline level. So they can actually increase their share of output more relative to other producers within the OPEC plus alliance. So we do expect to see a faster, a much faster pace of production increases this year. And I think maybe I can turn the question around to you. If, if we have this outlook where Saudi Arabia, for instance, is going to have somewhere on the order of 15% increase in its oil production this year, it's going to have some quite dramatic implications for the macroeconomic story for the GCC. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's really a reverse of what we saw in 2020, where we had a collapse in oil prices. At one stage, they turned negative and then significant production cuts, which meant that budget revenues uh, within the GCC were quite severely negatively affected. And we had a, a big increase in budget deficits in 2020 as a result. This year, it's actually looking like the reverse is going to be the case. So we have higher oil prices and increased production, which means that at the sovereign, rep, at the sovereign level, there will be a significant improvement in the budget dynamics in, in the region. We now expect Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Qatar to post budget surpluses this year, and possibly also Oman if they can achieve their uh, fairly ambitious production targets for this year. Now, that's quite something. That's a significant reversal of the you know, 10% plus of GDP budget deficits that we saw uh, from some of the GCC countries in 2020. And this means that governments, first of all, won't have to issue as much debt as they, they have in the last uh, few years. And it also means that there are now funds available to invest as well if, uh, if governments choose to. So that's one side of the, the picture, which is the fiscal story, which is looking a lot healthier with higher oil prices and increased production. The second benefit for the GCC is actually on real GDP growth. So if you think about the structure of the GCC economies, there's still a significant chunk of these economies that are just driven by oil and gas production. And so if you're increasing oil and gas production by 10 to 15%, then you're going to get a big boost in the headline GDP number, even if nothing else in the non-oil sectors change. Um, so both in terms of our expectations for headline GDP and in terms of what we're expecting on the fiscal dynamics, um, both of those look a lot healthier and, and a lot stronger than they did at the start of the year, just on the back of a higher expected oil price and increased oil production. Yeah, I think it's the that that improved fiscal picture that's really the linkage between the oil sectors and the non-oil economy uh, that we have across the the Gulf of uh, the GCC economies. And in, in historically, we've seen that, you know, in times of very elevated oil prices, at least in their own context, that that's prompted a big boost in government spending. Is that something that we're going to see uh, filter through this year in, in a way? Is, are we going to get a material increase in government spending to help support the non-oil parts of the economy, given that oil prices are so high? 
That's not our our baseline view. Um, and I think the, the main reason for that is even pre-pandemic, uh, so if we think look back to 2018, when the GCC countries agreed to introduce the value-added tax, I mean, that was kind of the first major regional fiscal reform measure to try and diversify budgets away from being entirely driven by oil um, and, and allowing... Um, budgets to be planned over a medium term where they could rely on non-oil revenues to underpin um, those budgets going forward. So what we saw in, in 2020 was actually almost an acceleration, a forced acceleration of that fiscal reform process, simply because um, the oil revenues kind of were wiped out um, overnight. And so we had higher a VAT introduced in Saudi Arabia. We had governments around the region actually cutting spending during the pandemic year um, in order to try and, and mitigate the impact of this, this drop in oil revenues. So our view is that the governments in the region have recognized that they cannot rely on oil revenues to underpin spending and drive growth in the region going forward, that they will need to continue that fiscal reform process and continue to diversify their budgets away from oil. And we've seen very recent announcements. Um, so we have Bahrain increasing its value-added tax from 5% to 10% in January. And we've also had the UAE announce the introduction of a new corporate tax um, from fairly enough mid-2023, but it's an indication that this commitment towards um, diversifying budget revenues and moving away from oil remains in play, even though um, we're now looking at a much healthier and, and much higher oil revenue uh, forecast for, for the next couple of years. So we think that governments will remain fairly disciplined in terms of their, their spending. Yes, there will be funds available to invest in strategic sectors that the governments want to develop over the, the next decade. So we've seen um, in Saudi Arabia, for example, increasing use of the public investment fund, PIF, um, which has been effectively um, the main driver of investment in sectors like um, hospitality and tourism, uh, infrastructure, some of the, the mega projects which are underway. And so what we think will happen is the um, sort of bonus revenue that we'll get this year from higher oil prices will effectively be reallocated to these um, public investment funds and, and other sovereign wealth funds within the region. And they can then identify which sectors and how they want to invest in those sectors in order to develop them over time. But we don't expect a general increase, for example, in government spending and public sector wages. We don't expect an increase in subsidies. Um, and so I think overall, the, the private sector or the non-oil sector doesn't really stand to benefit a huge amount from uh, the oil windfall that we will see um, in the budgets. And in fact, we've not changed our non-oil forecasts, our non-oil GDP forecasts for this year. Um, we've just simply adjusted our GDP uh, estimates to take into account increased oil production. We've not actually... Um, assumed any significant pass-through into the non-oil sectors. Um, so that's obviously our, our view. Um, obviously, things could change. Um, and, and certainly in the past, we have seen governments uh, perhaps become more relaxed about reforms when, when budgets are in surplus. Um, but we, we do believe that there has been a real commitment and a real shift to try and, you know, focus on structural reforms to try and get 
private sector investment and foreign investment to play a much bigger role in driving growth in the region going forward. Yeah, I think one thing that we at least can sort of observe from the oil market and how it feeds through into the, the economy, and we've certainly seen warnings about this from figures like the, uh, the managing director of the International Energy Agency is that, yes, oil prices are high, but where we are right now, they're not high for necessary, very comfortable reasons. There can be quite a lot of volatility in where prices are right now. So even though we're sort of careening along at a, at a pretty nice pace, as far as it goes for uh, the say balance of payments or the fiscal accounts for a GCC economy, um, the kind of lead time that you need to turn the economy around narrows a lot at these, these kind of levels. So there is sort of that risk that uh, yeah, we're at $100 a barrel, but a sharp move could see us go down to $80 a barrel quite quickly. Or conversely, uh, we could get up to 120 or 130 and the real risk for the consuming nations on the back of that as well. So I think getting away from that, uh, as you say, that the exclusive reliance on the oil income, regardless of the spot level of the price, but just to avoid the volatility uh, in the income stream is really the crucial reform that I think we're watching out for the economies here to be able to stick to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, it's um, you know, fiscal reforms are not easy for governments to implement, and often they're not popular. And so when, when things are tough, you can justify why everyone needs to tighten their belts and, and push through with these reforms. But I think it's harder to make that argument when you are sitting on a, a budget surplus as to why you need to further reduce subsidies or why you need to you know, increase the cost of utilities or, or whatever it is. And so I think there is a real, there is a risk that governments could delay some of these uh, reforms um, or that there is some slippage and perhaps uh, an unwinding of what's already been achieved. So, you know, it's possible that if uh, oil prices remain high for, for several months, um, you know, Saudi Arabia potentially could say, well, we don't really need VAT at 15%. We could probably reduce it back to to 10%, uh, you know, it, it's just a, an indication of the kind of slippage that could happen. But that's certainly not our base case scenario. Our view is that they will continue to push ahead to wean um, both the budget and the real economy off oil spending and, and oil income um, and, and try and develop a much more sustainable path for, for growth going forward. But I do think that certainly in the short term um, and after several very challenging years for the GCC, it is a much more constructive environment that we're looking at. We're looking at um, a situation where even though the, the rest of the world is struggling with inflation, regional inflation is relatively contained. Um, obviously, we don't um, you know, rely on natural gas in, in quite the same way. And so we haven't been affected by those higher energy prices. Um, but overall, um, you know, there's a lot of liquidity in the region and certainly higher oil prices will contribute to positive sentiment on the part of both businesses and consumers, as well as supporting the liquidity uh, conditions as well. Um, and then on the back of that, you've got a recovery in the non-oil sectors, which is underway. Um, you do have this improving fiscal story and um, the possibility of additional um, investment from governments in key strategic sectors, which again will potentially uh, drive uh, some growth in those sectors as well. Um, and it's certainly a lot more optimistic in terms of the outlook for the GCC than we've been probably um, over the last, I'd say, four or five years. Um, so I think, you know, clearly there are risks on the horizon. As you say, the 
the geopolitical risk premium could disappear and we could see a sharp correction in oil prices, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a fairly short space of time. Um, but for the moment, at least, uh, we look to be in a fairly constructive position going forward. Um, is there anything else you, you'd want to mention? No, I think that's that's highlighted very nicely that it's very tricky to, I think, as, as I said earlier, put a monetary value on the anxiety of oil traders um, at the moment right now. But as you say, because it's so politics driven, it can um, expand or shrink rapidly uh, in a for, in overnight. And we've seen that a little bit with markets moving much more off of the kind of political headlines and they have anything kind of more fundamental or macroeconomic, uh, at least in the last fortnight. Great. Well, thank you, Ed. Um, and thank you to our listeners for joining us today on Market Matters from Emirates MBD. If you'd like to access more of our analysis uh, and our research publications, please visit our website, www.emiratesnbd.com. Thank you and see you next time.